Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tal and this is the Creative Innovation Podcast. Cheers for listening. Thanks for coming in, guys. I hope you're good. I hope you're being creative and keeping everything nice and free and loose and experimental and having some fun wherever you are, however you're listening. So cheers. The, the weather this week is Raygun Tomatoes. Yeah, we're going to be getting deep into inspiration and honesty and design with Studio DBD's Dave Sedgwick this week. Tremendous bloke, cracking designer, all-round creative, does a lot of varied practices within his work. He's a great art director, creative director, designer, whatever you want to label him, he's very, very good at what he does. And we're going to be getting deep into that and all the inspirational stuff coming up very shortly. I've got to thank my sponsors who keep this show going for you guys for free. Um, illustrationweb.com first through the door my agency representing a hell of a lot of people across a hell of a lot of disciplines everything from lettering specialists to fashion illustrators to fashion design to live artists mural artists gift makers animators it's all going on it's 2018 (laughs) good bunch of people go and check them out doing a lot for the industry illustrationweb.com heartinternet.co.uk my digital and tech sponsor been around a good while as well now um they give us a little digital tip every episode and i thought i would point to dave today's guest of course um go and look at his presentation i think it's out of this world i think he presents his work fantastically well go and have a look at his website um clinical tidy neat simple to the point but shows off that does the work just lets the work do the talking um just go and take a look have a look and and we also discuss we also touch upon less is more in today's episode he talks about changes he's been making in 2018 and, and uh, how he became aware that instagram was becoming too much of a focal point for his work he found himself thinking oh my god i've not, not posted for a while i've got to do something to put on instagram i've got to, you know i've got to design this stuff so it looks good on instagram and that's a dangerous precedent because we stop thinking about why we're making a certain piece and fuck all that because it's really uh really great channels really useful but when you start designing for these platforms man the parameters come down and and we lose a lot of that zest a lot of that heartfelt love that passion that has to go into anything that's worthwhile in creativity so really good points uh, and that's courtesy of heartinternet.co.uk go and have a look they do awesome hosting uh, domain names, uh, SEO support, social media advice, really, really great people been supporting this show and the creative industries for a while now, so go and have a look. A um, little shout out to Real Junk Food Manchester who've been supporting for the last few episodes, really great cause, feeding bellies, not bins, um, salvaging waste food, cooking it up, making these awesome gourmet style dishes and it's pays you feel so you can choose to support the project, um, doing a lot of great work in the homeless community, a lot further beyond that. Just filmed the very first video Arrest Olympics with uh, LJB Studio and Laura Bost launching Design Giving magazine and we've been doing a video podcast to get under the skin of that and listen to Laura's journey and how, what the magazine's going to be all about and Real Junk Food Manchester kindly gave us a wonderful, beautifully designed place to film um, created by Igloo Design, really beautiful set. Um, so thanks to those guys for that uh, they're on board with the show so go and check them out go and have your dinner there go and have a coffee instead of putting your money into the likes of Costa and Nero and Starbucks and all that stuff go and check these guys out and support something a little more human and a little more uh, you know just someone who's giving back to the community I think it's really important and last but not least let's talk about uh, the Association of Illustrators because this week they've just launched an amazing new and uh, it's a new campaign called Price It Right it's the Price It Right campaign 
anyone who's listening to this show must be in the same boat where pricing your work as an independent creative can be an absolute minefield. It can be a head spinner. It can keep you awake at night. And I know for one, I've had many, many conundrums over the years. I'm luckily enough supported by illustrationweb.com who give me great advice. But I'm also a member of the Association of Illustrators and they give a hell of a lot of great support on the contract side of things, on negotiations, pricing, uh, issue, any issues you've got with clients. They're really great backup. So go and check them out. But this new campaign, the Price It Right campaign, let's get involved. Let's have that conversation. There's a lot of chat going on right now based around this about how do you price your work? How do you value your time and what you do? How do you deal with such hurdles as licensing, uh, copyright, overseas rights? There's a lot of things to consider when we're pricing our work. And first and foremost, I think it comes down to respect, Um, appreciating the fact that, yeah, we might be just out of uni, we might be new to the game, but hell, you spent whatever, seven, eight years in education, £30,000 these days for graduates coming out of uni and the rest. Um, and you've got to put a price on that. You're a specialist, you know what I mean? So go and check it out. Wonderful campaign by the Association of Illustrators, and you can check that out on the AOI.com. Uh, so cheers to those guys also for supporting the show. They're doing that in conjunction with the European Illustration Forum. Uh, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about that coming episodes on the social channels go and have a look go and check them out get them followed good stuff so what else been going on what you guys been up to what you been creating um just wrapped up the third and for now final edit on my follow-up book to champagne and wax crayons called the chemistry of creativity so cheers for uh, the people you know who you are who've helped me out a few of the regular show listeners giving some crucial feedback feeling very good about the thing now the hard part, got to go out there and find how it's going to be published and, and produced and put out there. Do I self-publish? Do I get another publisher? I don't know. You know, all these questions flying around. Um, so it's another minefield, just something else we have to consider. But I can say with certainty that it is going to be coming out one way or another. So keep your eyes peeled for that. There'll be many updates on the usual social channels on my channels at Ben Talon. Uh, shared on Arrest on Linux at Arrest on Linux on the Instagram, on the Twitter, on the Facebook keep up to speed um that's enough about me for now let's get on to today's awesome guest so dave sedgwick studio dbd i'm lucky enough to share uh, the building with dave so we bump into each other regularly and we ended up collaborating just recently on um on the multiplicity uh promo design on, on the brand identity Dave did an awesome design and art direction job there and he asked me if I wanted to come in on board and paint some unicorn horns which go and do, I mean go and do your research there's a, a, a link between Bristol where Foilco's event multiplicity is taking place um, and unicorn horns I don't know what the story is but I was brought in to, to paint some with Dave and he's put together a fantastic identity so we're going to talk about all the good stuff that he does from art direction to design to creative identities to working with his clients to establish what the best course of action is for them he's going to talk about challenging their pre-existing ideas to get the best for them working with them creating relationships we're going to talk about how in his own words he says he was a proper little knobhead at university <laughs> arriving uh, with preconceived ideas of how he might have been like Ian Brown and uh, Liam Gallagher, but we'll get into all that shortly. We're going to talk failure. We're going to talk about constructive criticism. We're going to talk about um, his formative years and, and being at university and it being an exciting, creative, cultural time with the likes of Raygun magazine and Tomato. Uh, we had Graham Wood on the show not too long back. Go and listen to that, one of the founding members of Tomato. Uh, we're going to talk about Manchester's impact. I'm going to talk about getting out there and finding out who you are. Um, making the most of your surroundings and getting off 
Pinterest and all that stuff, which we will get into just you know very soon. And there's an awesome story too about um, about asking why, asking of your clients why do you want to do this? Have you considered this alternative direction? And why that's linked to sponge pudding? But we will get into that coming up very soon. So I'm not going to keep you much longer because we have a nice in-depth chat. So. Dave Sedgwick, uh, Cheers for Time, uh, Studio DBD. You find us chatting in my studio on a Friday afternoon over a couple of beers and we're going to get into all the stuff. That's why I came here, really, to Manchester, because of the music. Yeah. Scene, really. Um, you know, we, we used to come to Manchester, like, all, all the time for, like, to see bands, basically. From where? Where are you from, then? From, well, from Southport, really. Oh, so, okay. from the northwest, but, like, we, you know, the, night, the nightlife in Southport and Preston was, you know, was yeah. what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, yeah, me and my mates used to just we used to, used to come to Manchester, so we'd, we'd sort of go out around the Northern Quarter. And before it was as popular as it as it yeah, is, yeah. there was like Dry Bar, yeah. There was Night and Day, and there was um, a bar called Isa Bar. So there wasn't many. There was three or four bars, and we'd go there, and then we'd go and watch a gig at like yeah. the Roadhouse or whatever. Nice. Um, so I, I yeah, I just loved the music scene, Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, yeah. um, Smiths, well. that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was just that's why I really wanted to come. To Manchester, really, for, yeah. for, for the music. I think so. I need to turn the same. Definitely. Yeah. And it was ironic, actually, on my first ever day here at University of Manchester, my first day living in Manchester, I met, I bumped into Ian Brown in St Anne's Square. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got my photograph taken with Ian Brown, and, and it was just at the Stone Roses, it's like we're sort of fading away, and you know, I hadn't done anything for a while. So he was probably quite happy that, you know, he, had, he, he was having his quiet time, and then he's got this like student, you know, <laughs> fresh eyed. You yeah, know, kind yeah, of, yeah. Ian, Ian, you know, yeah. like running across St. Anne's Square to sort yeah. of, to sort of, you know, can I have my photograph? My brother's a massive Man United fan and Rosie's fan and he yeah. sees him at the games sometimes and he sees a ticket holder yeah. and he hasn't done the box thing, he just, he's still in just the in crowd. the stands. And, yeah, I, and I think my brother said, all the regulars now just know to sort of say, all right, leave him to it. No one kind of, Definitely. not that many people bothering me, you know, so that's quite nice. Yeah, I, I, I love the Stone Roses and, you know, it was just... It was just ironic bumping into him on that first, on that first wow, day. Yeah. Yeah, coming to Manchester for the as the main reason was music. <laughs> my first day at uni. Yeah, we were sent out. I remember like we were told to go out and just start to get a feel for Manchester. You yeah. know, I mean, I knew it anyway. But there were people on the course who, you know, maybe maybe you know from down south, whatever, hadn't been to Manchester that much. So it was just to walk around and sort of get a feel for the city, venture beyond Oxford Road and the university area. Yeah, and then bumping into. Bumping into Lord, Lord Ian Brown and Stone Roses on my first day. That's so. brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So what's your what, so what's your background? Then? I didn't know you were from Southport. So what's yeah. Your... Well, I'm not, I'm sort of. <clears throat> I wish it was more exciting. It's not particularly. I mean, I was born in Wigan. Um, I was born in Wigan, but we we only lived in Wigan for a couple of like for about a year. Yeah. So obviously, don't remember any of that time. We moved to. Um, a really small village near Southport, about twenty minutes from Southport, um, and and kind of yeah grew up grew up there really a little tiny little village called Banks, mm. uh, where my mum was from, and grew up there really, um, and then we always we moved around quite a lot, but only in the sort of same kind of you know in small villages in that kind of area. So yeah. we never settled anywhere for longer than three or four years. My dad and mum were just obsessed with buying new houses. So. Oh okay. Yeah. And then we lived on a farm for a bit, um, did quite a lot of farm work. So yeah, I come from yeah. I was thinking about this the other day because I was just thinking about sort of my background. And I was thinking about work and sort of having a work ethic, and I think it definitely comes from, you know, I mean, my dad had me out working like on the farms when I was like eleven, twelve years old. You know, yeah. school holidays and stuff. Yeah. It was like you're not gonna 
sit around and do nothing like you're gonna you're gonna get out and work wow. so I was cutting lettuce cutting celery picking onions doing all the jobs that I grow, fully grown men were doing when okay. I was like 11 12 yeah. years old yeah I mean I hated it absolutely yeah. hated it but I, I appreciate that sentiment of hard work and and yeah. I guess in a way and I've, I've, I've no respect to, you know sorry no disrespect to anyone who works in the agricultural world but it was I knew very early on I, I didn't want to I didn't want to fucking be a farmer yeah. I didn't want to work in that environment uh, I basically didn't want to do anything that was actual manual labour if I could help it. Well, so, not, you know, the best way to find out what you don't want to do is by doing by doing the shit stuff and the hard stuff and listening to how you feel about yeah. it. Yeah, and I knew that. Yeah, my dad was never going to let me just kind of like sit at home in school holidays and do nothing. So it was like out, out, sort of seven in the morning working. You know, so I made boxes, cut celery, picked tomatoes, all those agricultural things that people do. Um, but yeah, it made, it, I suppose it makes me always aware of what could happen if you sort of the work dries up it gives me that drive I think to continually think right shit I need to keep working hard I need to keep moving because I don't want to ever end up yeah. doing something that I hate yeah I speak to so it's, it's I mean I've never heard anything other than that from people yeah. who've gone and done a job they weren't into it's a fucking great way it's, to I inspire agree. you to totally. get the hell out of what you don't want to do totally. same thing I, I mean between first and second I had a paper round from 13 or whatever and supermarket did that kind of route yeah. and then and then the, in between first and second year I worked at my dad's factory uh, which was Damart so it was like a household goods yeah. factory in Yorkshire and he did that job for 20 years so yeah. hats off to him it was, it was quite a manual job he liked it he got on with everyone there but for me and my personality it wasn't right in no. six weeks I was like okay in the evenings the sketchbook came out and I, that yeah, was the yeah. first time I was doing my work off my own back yeah. not just for a university or, or college dev like it was like no, this is your way out of that. Well, that, so. I remember going to, when I came to university in Manchester, and sort of going back in the summertime, I would go back to sort of the farm work, the greenhouse work, yeah. and it'd be the same people who were there when you left, you know, last year. Yeah. You're coming back and they're still doing the same job, still working the same hours. And, you know, like I said, I've got, I have no problem with that. It's, it's work and they're working hard. But it just wasn't for me. That idea of having a routine, a set routine like that just would kill me. Yeah. Um, and I just remember, you know, as the years went on at university, going back there was just like I can't, I can't, I can't come back to this. And I think that more than anything drives you on to succeed yeah. and to and to really try hard. It's a great incentive. It yeah, really is. I mean, just the whole paper round or milk round. Yeah, thing, there's definitely something in that because not only the value of money, but like you say, it's just um, it kind of opens your eyes to, to what you you know what you don't want. Yeah, which, totally. And that feeling of like waking up and thinking. Oh my god! Like I can't wait to come on tonight. I don't ever want it again. You know? Yeah, no, no, it's just, yeah. Um, there's nothing better than getting out of bed in the morning and being excited and coming about to work. You've got to do that day. And I think it's hard for people to understand that if you don't work in a job that you love, isn't it? I think of it's course. tough for people to get it. You know, I absolutely love my job. I love the variety of it. I love the meeting people. I love being able to sort of... I mean, it's still work at the end of the day. Let's not forget that it's still a job. I'd much rather be on holiday or, you know, I don't know, doing something completely different, you know, in my leisure time. But if I have to work to earn a living, then there's nothing better than doing something that you care about and that you're passionate about. It's completely true. So at what point did did you sort of think that this might be something you want to do? Did you, were you a creative kid? I was always a, I was always drawing like lots of kids my age, you know lots of kids do don't they I always remember drawing just drawing anything drawing like you know superheroes and, and footballers and I wasn't I wasn't very good at drawing to be totally honest I'm still not I'm not a great drawer it's funny when your mates say oh you just fucking draw for a living I'm like I can't you could probably draw better than I can yeah. you know to them um, but I just remember feeling I don't know like sitting in class like maths and English and stuff like that and, and just doodling. Yeah. and just drawing and just drawing 
Um, and I don't know whether it was because I wanted to sort of get into my own world, my own imagination, like I was bored of what was going on, or whether it was, or whether it was the opposite of that, whether it was my way of concentrating on what was going on, was to actually be doing something. I think I just wanted to always be doing something. Yeah. I remember being sort of a, like at primary school, you know, my school reports and that's being told, you know, you've got like a, a vivid sense of imagination and you're like a bit of a class clown and a daydreamer and all that, which, you know, it, yeah, it was always seen as a negative. I guess really in them ways you could sort of say that I was already being destined to do something creative. Mm. I mean, I was absolutely awful at maths, GCSE. Um, I failed it. Um, and I, I got told at college, Runshaw College, to do my A-levels, I got told, you know, you have to, you have to retake it. Uh, in order to do your A levels, and I retook it. I got a night. My, my mum got mum and dad got me a you know a, a tutor to do the night class. Failed it again. I got a worse grade second time around. <laughs> so I got a D, and then I got an E. So I've not even got maths GCSE. The idea of kind of arithmetic and all that just is yeah. like really hard for me. So I just found myself through A levels um, at Runshaw. There was a A it was A level art and design. But after about kind of a month or two of doing that, there was about four or five of us got together and. I think it was just somebody on the course said to the tutor, like, you know, we want to do like graphic design, basically. Um, and I was just kind of like, yeah, that sounds good. It's album covers, isn't it? That's that sounds good. It's better than doing fucking drawings of plants and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do. I'll give that a go. So they they basically changed the course slightly to allow us to do A level graphic design. So we did it. We did like two years of you know album covers. Mm. Um, and then, like, probably yourself, Ben, I don't know, I did a foundation course, I don't know if you did a foundation B-tech, course. Very close. So similar thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know if they still do or not, but that was just it's an absolutely brilliant time. I absolutely loved foundation, so that's after A-level, and that was at the same college. But that's the time where you're given a bit more respect by the tutors, yeah. you have a more of a closer relationship, they're not teaching you in the way that they did at sort of high school and college, mm-hmm. it's more a the friendship, mentor, mentor, mentoring yeah. kind of way. Um Oh, I just loved it. I loved Foundation. Absolutely loved it. Me too. And I've not spoken to that many people that, that didn't because it's like you go from a very rigid curriculum with planners yeah. and scheduled lessons and not much freedom to do that stuff, to be creative, um, without being frowned upon to all of a sudden everyone's having a cup of coffee in the corridor and yeah. you can go for a piss when you want. Yeah, um, I know. That kind of... And it's like, it's, in, it's enlivening. It's crazy. Like the difference between A-levels and Foundation was massive uh, and a really good stepping stone to university. And I just remember, like, we had such a great, a great group of people on there. I don't really know what any of them are doing anymore. I know one of the guys went to work for Why Not Associates. Uh, I'm not sure about some of the others, but you know, it was just a really creative. Co- I mean, we it was around about time like Ray Gun Magazine, Dave Carson, oh, yeah. Tomato, yeah. all that kind of experimental design that would seem to be happening. I'd just never seen anything like it before. Yeah. I mean, I'd grown up with like, album covers and book covers and stuff, but then there was this this expression and. If like creativity, like putting things through photocopiers and enlarging them and then reducing them and just having fun and just trying things and experimenting and fucking up and having yeah. another go and then trying again. And yeah, I mean, I, I remember Foundation like it was yesterday because it was just such a good, great opportunity. really exciting. And, um, and it's funny because to that, to that end, I mean, I've had a lot of conversations I'm sure we'll get to because I yeah. want to do a bit of lecturing yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was Graham Wood when I was talking to yeah. him. He said to me about uh, his time at St. Martin's and how, you know, There'd be, uh, let's say, well, I can't remember how many, yeah. a very limited amount of computers and tech but among a, a big number of people, mm-hmm. which meant that you had to find solutions and you were left yeah. to your own devices to go and work this stuff out. Yeah. And he saw that as a hugely positive thing, so the whole running things through photocopiers uh-huh. and everything else. And, it, and that were, they were the foundations of him finding a style, whereas I think now there's like a, a dangerous customer 
dynamic because yes. of the fees. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So totally. you get a lot of subserviency and people expecting to be handed something, whereas actually an art education can't ever be that. It has, no. it has to be that independent, oh, fun time to I grow. I completely agree. And I'm not going to sort of sit and slag off students because that would be completely wrong of me because they're not, they're not all like that. some absolutely fantastic um, young mm. young students at, at, at university and I'm not just saying that in case they listen to this yeah. and they come oh, and, and lynch me but there is an element of like can you teach initiative you know if you've not got it in you can you can you teach it because I spend a lot of my time saying to them you've just got to go out and find somebody who if you want to build something out of glass or metal mm. or wood or whatever you've just got to find somebody who can do it and in actual fact that sort of process of trying to find somebody who can make it for you and making those connections and it may be failing but then you learn from that failure. They are the, the sort of the bones of being a designer or a creative or having a creative job Absolutely. because it doesn't always happen easily and I think the problem is, is you're right, the fact that they're paying X amount of money a term or a year or whatever, um, there's this danger they don't want to make mistakes like we did maybe when we were at college mm. where it didn't obviously it mattered but you kind of didn't feel that pressure I don't remember ever thinking at foundation or at A level art or at university oh you know my parents have paid this or I've paid this so it's costing me this I just didn't even think about it no. but I do think now that a lot of the students are sort of burdened by it slightly and so yeah. because they're burdened by it they're looking at like what's going to get them a job Oh, right, so if I design, I need to use a computer and I need it to look like it looks on Pinterest or on design blogs, so I'm just going to go down this slightly safer route to yeah. make sure I've got a portfolio that fits that yeah. particular criteria. And I don't know where our next real innovators are. I'm direct, they are there, of course they are, but I've, I don't know if we've sort of, you know, made the net smaller by yeah. the fees and by well, the what you Well, what you've got is it's neither the lecturer's or the, uh, it's, it's neither the lecturer's fault or the student's fault, yet this thing landed right in the middle of the yeah, totally. and, and it's I've, I've known many instances now of, of tutors finding themselves slagged off on Facebook and yeah. these discussions going on behind that, and that's not cool. No, I mean, it's definitely I'm not. friends with the vast majority of all my previous tutors, and actually some of them have become real mentors. Yeah. You know, it's like I've, I've got a lot of respect for them and vice yeah, yeah. versa, and we still go for beers, and I love that that's, that happens in our industry. Yeah. So I just, you know, I don't want that to be No, I'm not sure where the blame lies, I and mean, whether it's even lies anywhere. I think it's a case of trying to challenge the mindset of the students as much as you can Um, and you know some get it some really get it and they are trying to do things and I think you know I just love it when I go into university and I teach at Huddersfield like and I go in and I taught at Manchester School of Art for a bit and and the students are doing things and you think fucking hell that's a great way to consider that brief that's a really interesting style I really like what you're doing with that Um, it's exciting for me to see that and to see Mm. where where they're pushing when they're pushing themselves in a certain direction um, but you know the whole sort of design education is a very difficult and it is and so what about when you were studying because I, I, I have this kind of and I don't know if it's mis- I don't know if it's um, ill I don't know if it's just the sort of imagination of me but I have this rose rose tinted <laughs> vision of like the sort of the 90s because I, I was mm. like okay mid 90s I was 12, 13 years old yeah, yeah. I was just blown away by all that cultural explosion of yeah. NBA of Britpop everything that was going on at that yeah. time like you mentioned the, the whole Manchester music scene yeah. that was going on there was so much romance for me at that time mm. so what was it like to, to study because you, did you graduate around 2000 yeah, like yeah 2001 I think I graduated so yeah I was at, I was here in 98 um, I mean I, I didn't really like university for the first year or so I think I kind of I sort of I pined for 
back home for a long time, even though it was only sort of an hour down the road. I kind of pined for that, my friends that I'd grown up with, that group of lads that, you know, we just knew each other's sense of humour. Um, and I had a very immature sort of sense of I didn't want to meet people, I didn't want to take the time to meet people who were from different cultures and backgrounds. I completely admit that, you know, it was like, well, if you're not into football and drinking beer and Stone Roses and Oasis and Happy Mondays, well then, you know, what we got in common? Yeah. And it, it take, I think it takes your time at university to realise, actually, the best thing is meeting new people. In fact, it's, you know, from different cultures and different backgrounds and, and, and actually respecting those different cultures. And that took a lot of time. Mm. It certainly took... Most of my first year at uni, I was just kind of going through the, the paces of... Um, yeah going in, doing what I needed to do and getting out of there and going back to Southport or Preston, you know, on the bus yeah. on a Friday and not coming back till Monday morning. Never felt like I fully really lived in Manchester for that yeah. first year. And it was only second year. When you move out of Halls and you go to the suburbs, we lived in Didsbury and, uh, and Fallowfield, you know, slightly out of Manchester, that you feel like a, a bit more of an adopted Mancunian. Yeah. And I think at that point you really feel like this is your town, this is your city. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to remember influences in terms of what was going on. I mean, maybe it was just too much alcohol and, and, and having too much of a good time. I suppose like any era, I mean, I'm pretty sure there'll be kids that in 10, 15 years' time look back on this now and go, yeah. oh, fucking amazing, we haven't got it like that anymore. It's yeah, like, yeah, that's definitely. always, that's like, an, that's a cyclical thing, isn't it, I suppose? It's always yeah. going to be that way. I guess just to me, a lot of my kind of early obsessions emanated from that era, so it's yeah, like, yeah. I look at it very fondly for that for those reasons. But I was I was probably a proper knobhead as well at university, you know, like thinking I was thinking I was <laughs> Liam Gallagher, you know, like looking nothing like him, about four foot tall, you know, no beard or anything, just think, but thinking I was just because I was from the northwest and I like that kind of music. I had a diamond encrusted earring until uh, was, yeah. until the end of my oh, first I year. My I think I can still get the earring through it. <laughs> a few more beers we might give it a, a give it a <laughs> but you go through those kind of you know I think you've got to be able to look back and laugh at yourself a bit oh, and not yeah. take yourself too seriously yeah who was I talking to about this uh, it was Katie actually from upstairs yeah. from Creative Boom she was saying what she said she had a bit of a bull, bull in a china shop in my 20s yeah, yeah. and she was like you know I really sort of 30s you're a bit more forgiving Definitely. yourself and you embrace that yeah, and I think it is important to sort of embrace that and, and not well, hide it away you oh know? God, like, Robbie Williams you know God rest his soul he's probably still alive but you know <laughs> He, he said the most uncoolest thing in the world is to try to be cool. And I think that, that in a way is how I, you know, I think now. I look back and I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed by old photos and, and, and phases that you go through. But you can put it right. One, thing, one of the only good things about getting old, or one of the very few things about getting old, is you're able to look back on, on yourself and laugh a bit about mm. yourself and go, nah, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah. Why was I wearing that? What was I doing yeah. listening to that kind of music? Who did I think I was? And and that sort of acceptance of yourself is a is a big thing, isn't yeah. it? Like when you can finally accept all that weirdness and and stupidness about yourself, then yeah. I think you've kind of relaxed a bit more. Oh, than... completely. Only only then when you're comfortable with it can you can you put a positive light on all. Yeah, it? yeah. Until that point, you're like. I'm probably in another phase now. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, damn! I'll probably look back in about a couple of weeks ago. What was I doing with yeah. my life, listening to that? But yeah, I remember, like I said, being at university, thinking I was, you know, Liam Gallagher or, or Ian Brown, walking around like that, you know, um, just just an attitude, uh, really. And it was it was one of my tutors, um, Eric Griswood, who said to me, he sat me down and he was like, you know, you, you've a, you've a talent, but you've got to decide like what if you had five pounds in your pocket, mm. like what would you do? Like would you go down like on a few pints with your mates, or would you buy Creative Review magazine and and you know. Just a flippant comment that he made in the tutorial to me and sort of walked off, but it stuck with me, it resonated, mm. and I remember thinking, you know what, like, 
you know, I was the first person to get the chance to go to university in my family, you know, my wider family, not just my immediate family. And, you know, nobody else has had that opportunity. And I just thought, like, I don't want to fuck this up, really. I want to give this a bit of a go. Mm. I want to start taking it more seriously and, yeah. and, and stop going home at weekends and actually live in Manchester and live at the yeah. university and get to the library and, and take advantage of the tutors and, and as in, in, you know, listen to what they've got to say and learn from them. Um, and start, because I, I actually didn't want to finish university with some form of degree, but with no real direction. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I remember uh, finding out about an agency called Splinter in Liverpool, a um, design agency. Um, and I went and did just a two-week work placement with those guys, just off my own back. And I was just completely like blown away by the, this kind of creative environment where you know, these guys were able to get in when they wanted within reason, you know, within reason, and like, you know, yeah. do some good work, and listen to their music, and chill out, and go and have a lunch hour, and then come back, and have a couple of beers around the desk, and I was just like, this is actually a job, like, I love this, this is so much better than working in the fields, like, yeah. you know, this is what I want to do, um, and that opened, that opened my eyes to the potential of, of what, what could happen when you yeah. leave university, so, you know, I bought myself an iMac, uh, and settle down really to learning that really and becoming trying to become yeah. a, graphic, a graphic designer as yeah. much as possible. By that time, did you have a, did you have a good sort of notion of what graphic design was, where that fit in the world? Probably not. No. I probably thought I did. Yeah. I probably thought I had absolutely. I probably thought I was absolutely yeah. brilliant. You know, it's always very organic. I was awful. Like I always I always implore students to just kind of relax a little bit on that front. Yeah, easier said than done for them when they're in it. But yeah, but. It, none of us know. No. Well, okay, not. maybe some do, but very. It, it's there in the minority because it's just it's very confusing, especially now the walls are coming down between mm. all the disciplines because of technology. So it's kind yeah. of there's a lot of crossover. It's really hard, isn't it? I, yeah. I thought I was. I again, you know, sort of like looking back on it, I thought I was after that sort of like you know eye opening of working in an agency and that I kind of just and got buying my own computer. I was like. I, I'm a graphic designer now. Even at second, third year at uni, I was like, I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know about type and I know about Quark Express and I know how to use Photoshop. So I am a graphic designer. Yeah. And I just was producing work at university that my tutors were saying were pretty good and, and the other people on the course would start to kind of, you know, sort of look over my shoulder at what I was doing and be like, oh, that, that's pretty cool. So you, you get an inflated ego and you think, yeah. you think you're pretty, you think you know what you're doing. But I didn't have a clue. And I went to see an agency dinosaur in Manchester uh, Chris Lloyd and Mark Beaumont when they just set up dinosaur they're in a really small studio probably sort of similar similar to this room um, with my portfolio you know again sort of bright eyed and bushy tailed walked in with my shiny black portfolio and you know ready to ready to take on the world and they just ripped my portfolio to Is absolute that right? shreds yeah. Yeah. you know from the first page to the last page they just kind of tore it apart really? yeah. which had never happened to me at university before no, it had always been like you know, sort of tentative kind of little nudges and uh, you could try this, you could try that, but this is good and that's mm. good. They were like, well, why have you done that? And they questioned everything and they and they, they tore it apart and they kept talking about commercial work and like needed to have more commercial work in it. And I just, I, I remember walking out of Juicy House in Manchester just in tears, like completely broken. Really? Um, and, and, and going back to uni, so I was in final year because I remember going back to university with my portfolio and sort of walking into the class and just being diff- just completely broken. But the, the two things that came out of that is the first thing is I remember thinking, fuck you, I'm going to prove to you that, you know, that you're wrong and that mm. I'm going to get a good grade and I'm going to get a job. And the other thing is, looking back years later, I suppose I could kind of see some of the things that they were saying. They were questioning why I'd made certain choices and they were... 
they weren't sort of pussyfooting around. They were giving me it really as it was. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people can say, oh, you know, all the good things, all the great things about your work, and you sort of really like them. But if they're not honest, what's the point? We can, you know, you may as well get... I'd rather be honest yeah. about something. I always, say, something I always say to anyone, peers, students, whatever, I was, whenever I give a compliment, I always say I would never, I would mm. never, I would never brown nose you because yeah. nobody wins from that. You don't learn anything. I don't get anything out of that. Well, instant satisfaction, but in the long term, you're like, everyone's yeah. saying my work's great. But if there's never anybody saying, I don't like it, or it's not right, or why yeah. have you done that? Then you'll never you'll never change, or you'll never grow from it. So at the time, I remember being absolutely devastated. But it gave again. It was just another thing about getting the kick up the arse to sort of prove, you yeah. know, prove. Well, it. you seem to have a similar personality to me in the respect that what, exactly what you said there—that yeah. that kind of um, galvanising experience. Like I had, a, I always, I actually wrote a thank you letter quite embarrassingly to my GCSE English teacher and left it on the desk on the <laughs> slide because she, I got put up from set B to set yeah. A. And I were in set A, all of my mates were in there, so yeah. I turned into class clown at the back. Right. Even though I loved English and really yeah, liked yeah. writing and reading. Yeah. I was just distracting, so I'm on yeah, yeah. now all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, so anyway, she cottoned on that, I was dicking around every lesson and kept me behind one lesson and basically said I was on course for a D grade. Yeah, yeah. And English being one of like two subjects that I cared that you about. Were, you worked for, yeah. It put the fear of God at me mm. and actually I went away and I got quite angry about it. Oh, like, no, fucking hell, I can do this one. Yeah, yeah. This one I know I can do. So I went back and she, but looking back, it's so clear that she knew what she was doing and she knew that that personality, that class yeah, yeah. could handle that and would respond in that way. Yes. And she went out on a limb and took a gamble that that would happen. And it worked. And it did. Yeah. That, and then I, I got that even at 16 and wrote her a letter to say thanks for what she did for me. And it's the same thing. It's crazy now, sort of teachers and tutors, like they do these, say these things and they do these things and at the time they may not even think anything of it but it sticks with you, doesn't yeah. it? And it, and it, you remember it. I know, think 20 years about, later, I think you remember it. a good tutor yeah, who, who can who can bounce between different personalities and know how to handle each person. Which is how I try and, and teach well, the bit that I do at university. I, I sort of do that as well. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could tell a student straight away who's who I think is probably a bit like how I was at university where, you know, they're sort of struggling with the theory side of things and they're sort of the complicated creative ideas side of things, mm-hmm. but they've got a passion for say music or, or a certain type of culture or, yeah. or fashion or something. I just say to them, look, forget all the theory side of things. Don't worry about that. Obviously, you know, don't forget it completely, but just put it to the back for a bit and just care about your passions and what you're interested in and put your energy into that. So if you really like football or wrestling or whatever, do a project on that. Because if you do a project that you're passionate about, as you've shown me before with the WrestleMania stuff, you know, you, you, you instantly care more. And I think you produce better work that way. So trying to tell students, talk to them on that level. And then, you know, a few more students will want to talk to you a bit more about the theory and why we're doing something. And then I researched this and I found this out. And I feel like, and then talk to them on a different level as well. So I think it's important to be able to communicate to students on on a variety of levels, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's true. And what I find interesting, I had a conversation recently with someone about, I think they were a secondary school teacher and they were saying that, now, because kids are growing up with the internet, they're yeah. exposed to just so much information that they, they, they flip and they find it hard to settle down any yeah. one thing. Whereas you and I grew up in an era where, I mean, maybe you even worse than me being, if you were out on a camp farm, yeah. <laughs> all I had was a newsagent's match magazine, maybe the old yeah. WWE magazine. My cultural horizons stopped there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like, down on top of the pops, maybe yeah. something like that might have crept in every now and again. But... It was like three things, that, yeah. and that was it. So the level of obsession and the, and the layers I, I investigated those things with, yeah. it, it, 
it allowed me to anchor to one thing and become a real fan of it, a real obsessive. Yeah, really and, I've, and I've retained that obsessive nature. So yeah. it, I mean, we've got this up on the screen, and yeah. I'm depending on 3D objects. So I'm out there exploring what's going on. I've still got that. I don't have that flitting personality. Yeah. And I think there's something in that. I wonder if... Um, I don't know. I just, I just wonder if that's something that's changed. Well, I, I think... Slight, slightly off topic, but I think you're right in the sense of like social media, Pinterest, design blogs. I mean, we are literally saturated with visual graphic design now to the mm-hmm. point where you know you close your eyes and you can see it. And we didn't have that when I was at university. And it, you know, we, you didn't know what design agencies were up to really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was Design Week and Creative Review, and you waited for the DNAD annual to come out every year so you could see what agencies were, you know, what design agencies yeah. were doing. Um, but like. You didn't get that kind of Twitter where you can see what a design agency is doing the moment they've posted. Like they're, they're literally photographing themselves doing the work. Yeah. So you get to see what everyone's up to. Yeah. And that's good, but it's also really bad because it makes you just really frightened and anxious. Yeah. And as creatives, I think we are naturally kind of quite nervous and anxious about our work because you know our work is like an extension of us as, as human beings. So great, if people have bad things to say about our work, then you feel like they're saying a bad That's thing a about us. It, um, and I think, I think for, for me, what, one of the problems that students have now is that they, they're straight onto Pinterest or whatever to try and get inspiration. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I like Pinterest, I like all that stuff and I look at it. I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite and say I don't go on design blogs and, and, and Pinterest boards and stuff, I do. But I think it, I know when it's a problem, I know when it's giving me like too much like visual stimuli yeah. and I need to get away from that and get inspiration from somewhere else, go yeah. for a walk, go to the library, go and watch a film or something, because yeah. it's making me go a bit mad. Well, that's it, and I think the, the reason I started on that track, I lost my thread from it. Yeah, that's sorry, but, that's my fault. No, 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 it's me. No, no, I went off on the whole thing and then forgot where I started. But but it, it was when you mentioned about sitting down with the with the, yeah. kid, the kid who's into football. And yes. Else. So my, in my instance, like I had, I had those three matrix. Right into uni, I still only had those three things. I never yeah. really did explore. I never did the design theory or yeah. I, I, I was like, oh, art history, whatever. And never <laughs> left it all alone. Didn't yeah. get it. But. There were, there were some major ones, so like, so just to cut a long story short, a tutor saw the love of wrestling, yeah, and he went, Peter Blake's early wrestling, yeah, process, yeah, go and have a look, and he left it at that. And I think he knew that I would get go get there and go, oh, hang on a minute, pop out, okay. yeah, yeah, and, and connect the dots, yeah. and it was relevant yeah. to me then. And yeah. then the same thing happened, so Blur used Banksy on the front cover of the Think Tank yeah. album. Through Banksy, I found Ken Garland and the yeah. first things first manifesto, and fell in love with graphic activism, which to this day is still a really big thing for me, yeah, them. yeah, so. I, like you say, I don't think it's bad to just go, just ignore the theory for a minute, go yeah, and do yeah. your thing, and you'll find your way through a different path. You know, Which we still say today to students as well, like whether that's via the library or traditional methods of finding out, or whether it's via the likes of Instagram and Twitter, mm. which are great things, but you find a designer that you like, more often than not, look at who they follow or who they're liking, and you'll find, within 10 minutes, you can find 20 creatives yeah. that you're into just at the click of a button. Which is a brilliant thing. As I say, it's also, it's just too easy. It's throwaway. It's like listening to music on Spotify or iTunes now. We just listen to it, give it like 10 seconds. If we don't like it, on to the next one. And and that's the difficulty. If you ask students now who their influences are as graphic designers, I think they're finding it harder and harder. Not because they're not influenced by anyone, but because they're forgetting who they are quickly because there's so much of it. But just on the Pinterest thing for me, because I remembered it a second ago, I I did a workshop a few years ago at Huddersfield and I prepared this like, <clears throat> you know, 10, 15 page PDF presentation to the workshop, <clears throat> you know, how to dissect the brief, how to come up with ideas, you know, all these kind of things and these pointers. And 
at the end of the workshop, I said, right, so, you know, I'm just going to go to the toilet now, get a coffee, I'll be back in, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, I'll be back in a few minutes, have a look what you, have a look what you've been doing. Left the room, came back a few minutes later, and I swear down, this is not a lie, on every single student's screens, and there was about 35 in the class, they were all on Pinterest. Wow. And when I looked over someone's shoulder, someone had actually typed in how to have an idea as the search. Oh my God. <laughs> and I just thought, <laughs> and, I, and I just couldn't believe it. So I had to like, look, cancel, oh. everybody stop, everybody stop. You know, this is not the way. Oh, You're yeah. not going to get the answer on a design blog. Mm-hmm. You will get inspiration maybe, you might see something you quite like, you might find a certain colour palette or whatever, but you're not going to get a new idea if you're searching for it yeah. on the internet. That's not feeding the machine with anything original, not at is all. it? That's what you have to but it's that instant need for the answer that the, mm. the, the, that's the problem, and not the process, yeah. or going through the journey, or making mistakes, yeah. or fucking up. Or, I suppose or, that comes from that, in, in, you know, that instant access to Google, and yeah. finding answers so quick, you expect that for everything in life. Then. You just want to know. I just want to know as quick as I can, exactly, and, and not necessarily have to do too much hard work to yeah. get there. I just want to get have you seen Have you seen a film called While We're Young? No, I don't think I've seen ben it. Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts. Um, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. So them two play a couple, like a middle-aged couple. Yeah. Who, who, they, it turns out they're you know, the cat children, and they're a bit like, right, you know, we want to start living again. So yeah. they meet this young hipster couple uh, who are like, I don't know, 20. And there's a fantastic bit in the film where it's like it's just really well written. So they they go to this like house party on a Friday night, yeah. and they're all sat around the room drinking and having spliffs and stuff. And um, and they they're, they're trying to remember something like that. It's like, yeah. oh, what was that yeah. thing? And, and uh, Ben Stiller's character goes, "Oh, he's, I'll just Google it, I find out." And then the, like the hipster kid just puts down all that, and he goes, and he goes, well, "How about we just not know?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so well observed. And it just made me think of what you said. Then it's just like, and, and they just kind of look at him and go. Yeah, like it's a new idea. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I didn't know, it won't kill me to not know something. Yeah, yeah. No, it's Jesus. <laughs> but you know, we're in that. You know, we want things instantly, don't we? You want, you want new music. You want the next big thing as quick as you can, and, and yeah, and it's at the it's at the tip of your fingers on a yeah. phone or on an iPad or on a computer, and we're sat. You know, we've got these screens all around yeah. us. So to play devil's advocate, what's nice? Yeah. What's nice about it is though we're seeing now resurgence in vinyl in, uh, yes. in physical things again but I mean print media at the minute is coming but yeah. it seems to be coming back in I know it's still a bespoke and a limited thing but like there's a real uh, love of tactile creeping in because I think some people are kind of switching off to the noise yeah totally I mean we're talking a lot about university and I'm conscious of the fact you know we've talked we've talked for, you know, for <laughs> about so, my yeah. time at uni but I actually my dissertation at university was you know is print dead is is the wag- magazine you know dead oh, wow, okay. even um, then, even and, and that was yeah back in 98 99 I was talking about that and, and asking those kind of questions then about whether you know mm. certainly magazines were, were dead and I remember like researching all these kind of crazy magazines in like Japan that weren't actually like A4 you know saddle stitch magazines but they were like different formats and different and different objects and things like that um, and that but you see I have an instant fear of technology. I'm a bit of a Luddite, really, when it comes to technology still, even though I'm like a designer. And again, your mates say, oh, yeah, you draw for a living or you dick about on computers for a living. And it's like, you know what? I don't draw and I'm not very good on a computer, so I don't quite know what I do. But, um, I mean, I can use one. Of course I can, but not at the level that some people some people can do. So I was never going to get into, like, coding and the digital side of things that some of my you know, other students were doing. Print just became something that I just fell in love with. That that's sort of tactile, handheld, um, just that real the smell of print. That real sort of you know you could touch it, you could hold it. You couldn't wait for the print to arrive, like from the printers, and see what it looked like. You just didn't quite know what it was going to be like. But I think what's happening is 
round about that time in the late 90s and early early 2000s is everybody had print everyone had brochures everyone had print literature and hardly anyone had websites mm. you know you got the big companies had them but not many people had had sort of websites and i think what's happened is we've sort of as you say we're going full circle now where everybody's got websites but not everybody's embracing the power of print yeah. so what's happening is print is becoming a bit more elite now and a bit more you know stand out and people want a brochure because it's a way to kind of stand out from everybody's yeah. online digital presence. And that's a bit of a key as well. I was talking to Rod Hunt on a show going back a while. She had a studio in the same contact yeah. with Rod in, in London and um, and he puts a decent amount of money back into his print promotion yeah. each year because the way you put it, everyone's kind of becoming deaf to email because so many people are doing it. Yeah. Whereas you get something in the post, it's got a near enough 100% open rate. Yeah, for it's interesting. Yeah, and definitely. It's, and if it looks good, they're probably not going to bin it. No. You know, I've got Laura Bost's uh, Petra Kutcher yeah. program up there because it's beautiful and she's yeah. got time into having it hologram filed. And yeah, yeah. So it's a thing I want to keep and have it, and it's there and it, it becomes a talking point when so many people come through that door. Yeah. So it's a great promotion tool for Laura, you know. But, 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 you know, with online stuff, we've got so many bookmarks and folders and, and things where we keep stuff and, again, Pinterest boards and mood boards and that, but with so much of it that you just ignore it. Whereas I, I just love books. I love design yeah. books. I love kind of you know, printed material. And I, I do still think it will always have its place. And so will digital, so will online, yeah. so will web. Sooner or later, there'll be a, a, a hopefully a good balance. Goes on yeah, there. I think yeah. that's what's needed. And so, you know, if a client comes to me saying, oh, we, we need a brochure, you know, I try to sort of listen to what their problem is and then go back to them and say, well, actually, you don't need a brochure. You need a better website or you need a, a more yeah. of an online presence. And equally, if someone comes and says, we, need, we want to spend some money on our website, it's like, well, actually, you might be better off spending it on a rebrand or more of a marketing strategy or that's even PR that's good yeah. I, actually that's interesting that even that you're prepared to um, to do that to, to go yeah. back and actually uh, challenge you know, in a positive way that's the way they're thinking well, a, cli- a client came to me recently and said you know well, we really need our website we, well we need our website they had like a holding page that we set up for them when they started uh, a year or so ago um, and they came to me and said oh we want to we want to spend some money on the website and, and we sat down and chatted about it and you know and it became quite clear that it wasn't a website that they needed. They needed to get people to go into the cafe. It was a cafe restaurant place in Hale. And people didn't know about it enough. Um, so we needed to spend more money on sort of PR and marketing and, you know, uh, promotional pieces. Mm. And, you know, what does the signage look like? You know, how do people know about it? And the website can come later because the target market as well was, you know, a slightly older crowd who perhaps aren't even going online to look for yeah. like cafes and restaurants. They just need to know that there is one in Hale yeah. that they can go to. So we look, you know, we we sat down and looked at. Here's how you can spend the money that you've got better. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't work for me, and it doesn't work for the client. I could just take that money and do a website, but in the long run, that business is going to fold. So that, so you know, uh, they're not going to give me any more work, yeah. and you lose that relationship that you have with a, yeah. with a client if that happens. Um, same with Foilco, one of my clients. You know, they they approached me uh, a year or so ago about doing some posters for or. Um, their multi, uh, sorry, their Lux Pack event in Monaco that they do. They wanted free posters doing because that's what they'd always done. You know, they'd always got free posters done, designed and foiled. Yeah. And you know, my first question was, but but why? And when you ask somebody, you know, why, you kind of you kind of you, you sort of open a can of worms and they're like, well, yeah, I haven't really thought. We just we just did it. Mm. I remember my mum making me. It's a very northern thing for you. Making me eat sponge pudding. <laughs> every single Sunday, I'm going somewhere with this, don't worry. Every single Sunday night, me and my, my sister would be made to eat sponge pudding. 
and we would fucking hate it, right? We'd sit there and we'd we'd sort of eat a mouthful and then we'd have a swig of tea. You have, you have to drink cups of tea with your food in, in, in the north. You don't have water or, or wine or we had that yeah, cup of tea, hot tea, tea even, pot yeah, water. massive hot mug of tea, even on the hottest day of the year. And we'd we'd eat this sponge pudding and we'd we'd swig it down with a cup of tea because we just had to just swallow it. And we did that. God, we must have done that for about ten years until. My auntie Janice, and like Peter Kay said, she wasn't even my auntie, she was my mum's friend Janice from, from down the road, said to my mum, just out of nowhere, well, why do you make them eat it? And my mum didn't have an answer. <laughs> and from that point on, we didn't have to eat wow. this pudding anymore. You should have that on your About Me section on the <laughs> website. It. Just start with that story. Exactly. Who cares about all the bullshit about awards and design and answer to the sponge pudding story? But in actual fact, again, it sticks with me because, yeah, so when a client talks to me about a project, I just think, well, why though? Why are you doing that? And actually, I think as designers, the serious side is for a minute is that, you know, I don't want to be employed by a client just as somebody who can work a computer mm. because I can't work a computer for starters. But, but I don't want to be employed by somebody just to be able to use software or to be able to make something look pretty. I want to be employed for the creative thinking, for the idea of working with a client and say, well, actually, if you thought about this, if you thought about that. And that, could, that doesn't always have to be graphic design. That could be a change to, you know, the interior or the menu yeah. or... Or, or any aspect of the company that's going to help that business mm. to grow. And I think we need to be seen more as consultants in that way, I creative consultants, and not necessarily as graphic designers. I think that's really interesting, actually. And you stop becoming just a tool, then you become mm. a really important part of that process. Would you say that's, that's strengthened your relationships with your clients? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Over the years, massively. Because yeah. they're my, easily my favourite clients. When I have that, yeah. when you can pick up the phone and you start having a laugh on the phone, and then yeah. you have a you have that conversation before you get into anything official, you, you just, you know. Talk about work, yeah. business, how's it going, those kind of honest it's chats. Yeah, a great part of the job for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of the clients that I work with now, I've been working with for a long time, and I've worked with them from the start right up until where they're at now. You know, the guys who, who opened TAC on Tara Street in the Northern Quarter, they've obviously just opened uh, a new coffee shop and brewery just off, just under the Mancunian Way here on Oxford Road. You know, working with them through, from them starting that first one up until they're growing, they've got one in uh, another one opening up further down Oxford Road. So, you know, you're part of that, that, yeah. that the cog in the, yeah. wheel, in, in the machine. Do you think that's a part of your personality? Because for me, it certainly is. I've always yeah. enjoyed the chat side, the, the, the relationships. I just I have a lot of friends and I've always just been interested in people. So for me, that's a really enjoyable part of the job that I push. But I think it's, it can go either way. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I kind of probably one of those people you either absolutely fucking hate me <laughs> or you like me, or hopefully you don't hate me. You know, it, I think it's like, I can understand why some people might be put off by that passion and that yeah. and that enthusiasm, and I can understand how it can be a bit like, you know what, we just rang you up to do a fucking logo, why are you telling us that we need to change yeah, our, you know, yeah, our yeah, whole yeah. That's such a thing? And I think I can get that that might be annoying, but at the same time, I probably don't really want to work with people who aren't prepared to take take you on board in that way. Yeah. Um, I, I lost a pitch a few years ago um, that I did, I put a lot of work into it, and one of the one of the feedbacks that came back why I didn't win it, amongst lots of things, but one of the one of the reasons was that they thought I was almost too passionate about the design work that I did, really? and that I was I would have been slightly uh, unable to to bend or manipulate on oh, what wow, they wanted okay, me to do. And you know, in some ways, as much as as that's possibly a negative, I think it's probably a slight a sort of a fair. A fair assessment within reason. I mean, I'm not. I'm certainly not one of those people that says it's this or it's nothing. 
you know, I'm not Paul Rand walking in with one logo going, <laughs> you know, pay me and that's it. You know, I'm certainly not. But I think that we should employ professionals or people that we want to work with on the basis of the fact that we, we go into them because we know what we might get from them and, and we trust mm. them. You know, if we go to a restaurant for a meal, I mean, you know, you, you go for a steak with maybe with your parents or your in-laws or, or with my in-laws and they're, they're demanding that the steak is cooked mm. all the way through and I'm just sitting there cringing thinking, oh God, you know, the chef wants to cook it medium rare or rare or whatever. Yeah. You know, I think you've got to go to these places and say, you're, you're the expert, you know, you, you tell me how, how, yeah. how you want to make my, my meal and I'll eat it yeah. like Was that the approach you took to the sponge pudding? Yeah, in the end, that was it. I'm not having it unless it's cooked medium rare, mum. That's dumb in that story. That's fantastic. <laughs> so one thing I was really interested in, just, like, just looking at the stuff uh, for your website, and yeah. you've asked, so uh, you mentioned the trip to Barcelona uh, being quite pivotal. Would that be, yeah. would that be fair? Yeah, what was, what, so what was that? Was that uh, was it, were you travel? Did you, get, did you travel much? Yeah, well, I went to Barcelona when I was at, when I was at college, when I was doing A-level. We went as part of like, the course, and I just I fell in love with it. I just thought, you know, a really sort of... Uh, sort of grungy kind of dirty city that had a real kind of character to it, a bit of Manchester in a way. I really loved it. Um, and I always kept a bit of an eye on sort of Spanish design and particularly designers from Barcelona. And over the years, I just always always would sort of keep my eye out for them. Um, and it was, it, it was 2013, so I left, I left my last job in 2011 to start working for myself. And in 2013, um, my wife, uh, she's a translator, and she got offered a, a position to go and work in Barcelona for, for a short period of time. And I said, well, I'll come, you know, I'll come out as well, and, you know, and we'll make a bit of a holiday of it. She's like, you're not going to fucking just, like, you know, dick about all day getting drunk whilst I'm working, you know, that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so she's like, you've got, to, you've got to have a purpose for going. You can't just, you know, yeah. sit on the beach and, 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 you know, take a four-pack of beer down there. So I thought, well, what reason would I have for going? And... I thought, I'm going to get in touch with some design agencies. I'm going to just go in and see them and chat to mm. them. They're getting that whole personality thing and just getting to know people. So I made a few sort of inquiries before I left um, to a few of the agencies. And a couple of them said, yeah, just, just you know, very sort of Spanish laid back. Yeah, just call in whenever. You know, and I'm sort of the English in me going, well, I need a time. I need a date. I need to know where it is, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but there's this kind of laid back feeling of, yeah, just, just knock on sort of thing. So, um I remember I went, the first agency I went to see was Lo Siento Studio, um, a guy called uh, Borja Martinez in, in, in that agency. And we just chatted, like me and you. Just I was on one side of the table, he was on the other. I was showing him some work that I did. He was really passionate about it. And then he was showing me some of the projects he was doing. And, you know, we just, just my sort of mouth and my enthusiasm, again, ran away with me. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to have an exhibition of your work in Manchester? Uh, and before I could sort of, finish the sentence and, and put the words back in he was like smiling you know like booking the flights kind of thing he's like yeah that would be amazing now we love Manchester um and, and I kind of thought to myself well I've got to make it got to make it work really but you see I was doing a lot of work for a place called 2022 in the northern quarter like a gallery art space um which they just opened and they were like weren't quite sure whether they were a nightclub a bar mm. a gallery a cafe so I knew I had this kind of location that we could do something so I wasn't just completely like naively saying let's put an exhibition on I was thinking I'll make a few calls we could get this to happen but what was quite good is once I went to see Lo Siento Studio I then went to see Hay Studio um, and I was able to say to Hay Studio 
oh, you know, we're thinking of doing an exhibition of your work, uh, sorry, of Lo Siento's work in Manchester. Wouldn't it be cool to have your work here as well? And I was able to kind of go on and on through the four or five agencies that I went to see whilst I was out there and say, well, these guys are on board, so do you want to get on board as well? Brilliant. Before I knew it, I had these kind of, like this collection of, yeah. of studios who were really interested in, in exhibiting their work in Manchester. So I came back to the UK and thought, right, how the foot does that do you put something like this on? Spoke to Jamie at 2022. Spoke to Jane at GF Smith Paper, spoke to Simon at Team, got the printer, the paper, the exhibition space, thought, right, okay, got, got all that now. Then I kind of thought, wouldn't it be great if we got the guys to actually come over from Barcelona to Manchester and do a bit of a talk? Mm. Now, I'd never, done, I'd never done anything like this, ever. Had no idea what I was doing. But like everything in life, I think you've got to just try it and see what happens and yeah. make those mistakes and, and see, what, see, see what comes out of it. Um, and yeah, they, they, all, they were all like, yeah, we'll come, we'll come. So yeah. I was like, okay, where am I going to get some money to pay for the flights? Had absolutely no sponsorship, no support on that side. So I paid for all the flights myself. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then I thought, well, I could sell tickets to the talks. So we put on a, um, a, you know, these guys speaking in 2022, which is a really small space. We got about 90 seats in there, charged something ridiculous, like £10 a, uh, you know, a ticket or something. Um, and, and in the end, that just about covered all the return flights and the hotels of all That's the speakers. Um, got the print for free, thankfully, off team. And I think I, I spent some money on some IKEA frames, but put on a great exhibition in 2013. I mean, it was, you know, I had no idea what I was doing, but like we got people coming from all around the world to see that wow. exhibition. Um, you know, and, and to have sort of Hey Studio and Mucho and Lo Siento and, and people like that come to Manchester, exhibit their work, talk about it. You know, to a small audience, it was just, it was great. And so then in 2014, I said to myself, I'm absolutely never doing anything like that. <laughs> and I decided to do another one. Yeah. Um, so so the, was this the BCNMCR, the first one? So BCNMCR happened in 2013. I did another one in 2014. Yeah. Again, the second one. Because there's so many agencies in Barcelona. And it was just like, mm. it would have been stupid to not tap into, yeah. tap into more of them. So we did a bigger event. We did it at the Halle St. Peter's in Ancoats. Uh, and this time I got sponsorship. Showing to College sponsored it, sponsored it, uh, Estrella Dam sponsored it, Creative Review got on board, Brilliant. and I was able to grow it even further, and thankfully didn't have to dip into you know my holiday yeah. fund to, to yeah. pay for it this time. I think that's a really valuable lesson for anyone who's kind of got an inkling of an idea but mm. worries about you know, finance and implementing it. I, th- I think, if, like you say, that's the benefit of just getting out, talking to people, seeing what, there are ways and, and they kind so of present themselves. When you're passionate, they present themselves yeah. at times, you know, it's almost... The... I actually enjoy that, that side of things as well. I mean, there's people do like event management, event planning for a living and I can see why that is a draw, really. It's like a drug, that adrenaline of like trying yeah. to organise things and, and sort of, and then sitting back at the end of the night or the day and thinking, well, it's actually happened. It's, it's been a relative success. A no, one, no one died. Yeah. And... We're still here, yeah, and you know I've made some more contacts, and we've put on a really good event. Yeah. And, and I think doing BCNMCR in twenty thirteen definitely—it's a fucking wanky phrase, but it put my—it got my name out there a little bit. You know, I think people started to sort of see what I was doing, and and subsequently, I got commissioned to do some work with the Cervantes Institute in in Manchester, the Spanish Institute, because they'd come to the event, Brilliant. and so like most things in life, I think you you do something because you care or you love it. And and in more, most times it will come back to provide you with some actually some monetary value in the end. Yeah. It, it might take years, it might take decades, but it will in the long run there'll be some connection, something will happen um, that that kind of connects yeah. those dots. Yeah. Because even the teaching that came from 
So this building that we're in now, M1 Studios, uh, myself, Micah, Nick and Daniel, who's the landlord, we got together about doing like um, taking the, an ad board that's, that's up at the side of the building and asking people, like artists and creatives, to basically send us in their work. We'd print it and we'd paste it up and we called it Print and Paste. And we did it for a long time and I got in touch with people like Anthony Burrell and Michael Place at Build and I got in touch with Darren Newman, um, he's a really good good illustrator, sort of designer, and he put me in touch with a guy called Jeffrey Bowman. And now Jeffrey Bowman got me to do some work at Shillington College. And through the work at Shillington College, I started doing the teaching at Huddersfield, which now pays me yeah. a, a, you know, some form of salary. Yeah. So doing something that was like, my Saturday mornings were like covered in you know, wallpaper paste and, and pasting up some billboards, just doing it for a bit of fun, has ended up helping me in, in, in my career really so. these, these threads I'd love to see like a spider chat of all mm. the threads because I, I've got so many stories of that happening which I'm not going to turn out it's not this isn't about me but it's like but there are so many and, and, it, and, and none of them could have been planned at the time no. looking back there's, a, there's a, a very tangible thread to all of it but the big lesson in all of it is just do it and be passionate about exactly. it and, you don't, and do what you love, you know? You don't go into something thinking, well, where's this going to lead me in like a year or two's time? You do it because you, you, should, well, you should do it because you give a shit and you care. Yeah. And I think if you, get, if you care about something enough, no, nothing else really matters. Yeah. Um, it's important just to do it for the love and that. And you do the best work that way and you, do, and you, you get the most out of it. And if it ends up being something further down the line that pays, you yeah. know, that puts food on the table or, or, or pays you rent, then brilliant. And if it doesn't, then fine. You yeah. earn something and you You're never going to lose because even at that, at that original entry level, you're just doing it because you love it. It's yeah, yeah. fun. That doesn't need and to that's be it. Lot. Exactly. But anything else on top of that is great. It's a bonus, isn't and, it? And often that's the great stuff. Yeah. yeah. I ended up in, uh, in Minsk in Belarus because wow. the Angry Blog became a book. The book got picked up. It was a Minsk International Book Fair. Yeah. Uh, and they asked me to come and do a talk, do some drawing. They're lovely, lovely people. The British Embassy are out there. I've stayed friends with them ever since and had them over here and um, it's amazing and along that conversation they're like, how do you feel about doing a lot like first solo Brilliant. show at this big yeah. new venue we're opening an old TV factory I'm like yeah yeah of course it's amazing yeah. like <laughs> I ended up with a which I actually had to go and sit in the toilet when I first got there my, <laughs> head, my, my, my head went with the whole thing it was like I walked in and they, they printed it huge and lit it and people there with wine and I was like I can't take I this I couldn't deal with it I had to go and yeah. sit in the toilet I mean I'd come off the back of a full day of doing like live drawing and it was like this is actually pretty crazy. Like, yeah, it's, it's all got like you know the sort of Belarusian font on it and so on. Amazing. <laughs> this is crazy. It's stressful, isn't it? I remember, yeah, the first BCN MCR. Like they couldn't get the couldn't get the AV equipment to work, uh, and literally as people were That's walking through the door, happens. they were literally walking through. And I remember the guys Jamie and Keith at twenty twenty two. If they're listening to this, Jamie will remember it. It was an absolute nightmare, and I think I I think I came the closest to having a proper heart attack. I was I could feel my heart. Bursting out of my chest, and the thing is, God loved them. Sp- you know, the Spanish people were so laid back. They're like, "It's fine, Dave. We just tap dance, or we'll just sing." And I'm going, wow. "No, no, 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 no. This is the end of me. If this fails now, I'll never work again." You know, it was like it has to happen. It has to happen. And I would say, for those first sort of 25, 30 people that walked into the room that night for that, for those talks, they had no idea the stress mm. and strain that you're going under. And in actual fact, I think it takes me about an hour or two to actually relax and even enjoy those kind of events. Oh, it's really? only maybe afterwards you look back, probably similar with you, you know, you yeah. look back and think, oh, okay, that was pretty yeah. good, actually. Once it's all done and everyone has started to break out the beers, then you, then you can... Yeah, but then you get absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Drunk. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. remember any of yeah, it. Yeah, because of the sheer relief. <laughs> yeah, the adrenaline. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
don't need to eat. I'm fine on beer. <laughs> Next day, you know, wonder what's yeah. going to happen at my event tonight. Oh shit, it was like it was yeah, actually last waking night. up fully clothed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Still trying to get the AV equipment to work. Ridiculously. <laughs> oh god. So what? I saw your talk recently. At, um, yeah. That was it. So I really like the honesty theme, so I thought we should touch upon that yeah. uh, a little bit. Because I mean, I guess we, we have touched upon it in a, in a lot of ways. So yeah, one thing I liked about the honesty design thing is the sort of angle of, um, I guess, putting yourself out there. When you mentioned the whole wrestling thing at the start, yeah. I immediately connected with that just on that like, on that yeah. kind of wrestling value. I did that just for you. I did. <laughs> I've never watched wrestling in my life. I just knew you were going to be there. But it had me laughing straight away because the images you showed were of like yeah. tag teams in like flamboyant, ridiculous yeah. gear. And even that as an act in itself is all something that I find a lot of people are embarrassed about or mm. oh, don't want to share that side of that quirk. Whereas actually, once you put that self out there and let that be, I think I think it just attracts, I, I don't know, it attracts, it, it pulls in similar-minded people yeah. and it opens up, people drop their own defences a little bit and I've never found it a bad thing in this industry. I've found that that's actually shaped my direction in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, once you once you let that out of the bag, you know what? There's no way back, is there? Really? I mean, I, you know, when you're showing many leotards with your first slide, um, you kind of know that, that yeah, it's going to be that kind of talk. If you're looking for some kind of like <laughs> Russian sort of, you know, I don't know, some kind of really informative, theoretical, yeah. constructivism uh, talk, it's not. It's probably not for me. And, you know, I mean, I never, I don't feel comfortable being something that I'm not. Uh, I think you've got to embrace the weirdness in you. You've got to embrace that strange, quirky sort of honesty. Yeah. Um, again, that's something that comes with age, doesn't it? You stop trying to be something that you're not, and you just accept that this yeah. is what I can do and what I'm good at, and if and these are the things I can't do. And I, I'm not going to be comfortable talking about too much theory and sort of like the real intricacies of, of my work. Yeah, I just talk openly and honestly about my background and, mm. and where I'm from and how that influences my work subconsciously or consciously, I don't know, but I just talk about it as it is and keep it real. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I think that comes as well from doing a bit of teaching and speaking to sort of younger creatives and younger designers who are absolutely petrified of, of what the world's going to be for them when they leave university and that they're sort of so far removed from this reality, uh, you know, they think it's going to be so hard to get a job and it's going to be really, really difficult to, to kind of meet and talk to these designers. And, you know, most of us are just decent, normal, genuine yeah. people trying to make a living and do the best we can. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about that honestly and openly and not yeah. hide behind too much kind of uh, bullshit, really. <laughs> I think so. And I think what's nice is as well, and I think there are two, two approaches, in the, at least in their extreme, is exactly that. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. when I started writing on this blog, it's opened so many doors for me yeah. because I, but I had to make a conscious decision to surrender any mystique, really. Yeah, yeah. By putting Ben Talon out there in the public realm. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, I'm talking about going for redu- reduced sandwiches at certain, working out the times in my book, which is what I did. It's like, <laughs> yeah. that suddenly, that's, it's so humanising. Yeah. As in salt of the earth type thing, suddenly I'm that guy. I'm like, yeah. on that level, I can never be about it. Then. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas some people, we can, we can always be better. We can, you know? but then I have to create. I mean, I, I mm. can, but I would have to create a pseudonym. Yeah, and, yeah. And, but that's a fun idea as well. But that's another yeah. story. But but then there's then there's that quieter natured person who yeah. invariably in our industry you get a lot of that. So yeah. I think there are ways to kind of work like the social channels, which feel quite intimidating for people who are quieter. Yes, but 
you know, in such a way that retains that mystique and you let the work do the talking. So I think that's another form of honesty in, in, in that respect. Oh, definitely. I've got, I've got ultra respect for that, for that kind of person or that kind of agency as well. I mean, there's plenty of agencies out there who are, you know, aren't, aren't even on social media, just doing absolutely amazing work and, and, and great and fair play to them. And I actually, you know, this year... And making a bit more of an effort to not be as instant on Instagram or as quick to go on Twitter yeah. or as quick to sort of get your work out there. Because I do think it, I got to that point, again, speaking honestly, I had got to that point maybe a year or so ago where I was like, what will this look like on Instagram? Or, you know, I must get this on Instagram just to get it out there. Because I haven't put something up on Instagram for a week, it's so I, dead, I have to put something. And I thought, actually, what am I doing? You know, you forget why you're doing it after a while. But you're completely right. I mean, after I did that club talk, I, mean, I quite enjoyed it and, you know, I had a few beers and it, and it seemed to go down you know, fairly well. Um, but I remember waking up the next day a, a bit thinking, oh, fuck, you know, I hope that wasn't filmed or, you know, what, how did I come across, or, you know, was I a bit of a wanker and did that sound wrong and, you know, is it going to kind of do me no favours? And then, you, and then uh, but by even thinking that, you're sort of like going against what you are because I was, yeah. I would try to be myself yeah. as much as I can be anyway and just talk, talk like I would talk to my mates down the pub or... Yeah. you know, my family or anybody, a client or anyone really yeah. within reason. I mean, you change your personality slightly to, 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 to suit a, a situation, but I think if you're having to try and pretend to be something that you're not, it's going yeah. to instantly come across as that. Yeah, it's dangerous and eventually you can go unhappy with that because yeah. it's not natural to you, you know, it's, if it's a false thing and it's something you're putting on then yeah. for any other reason than like artistic fun, then I think it, it's not cool. It's not what this industry's about, you know. It's got That's, to be real, it's got to be honest. I think if we're, if we're dealing with clients who want if they promote, you know, part of design is to try and sort of, pro- in, in some ways, is to promote a client's uh, product. And the moment you start trying to lie about that product or what they're offering, then the moment the public will see straight through it. So as a creative, you have to say, well, this is me, you know, this is the setup, yeah. um, and, and this is who you're dealing with, and, and we're going to produce some great work together. It's going to be real, it's going to be honest, it's going to be, you know, yeah. transparent, and, and that's the most important thing you can ever be, true to yourself, whether you're in business or whether you're, Absolutely. you know, whatever you are. And it's funny, because I worry sometimes, I, you know, I love the whole honesty thing, mm. and I worry, worry that people are misconceiving that in a way that I'm, it's me going, everyone should be brash. It couldn't be further than the truth. Yeah. It, it's, it's just, be it's like you say, it's been true to yourself. Yeah. It's like, I'm working with a music photographer called Andy Cottrell at the minute, and we've done a hot, he's worked for I don't know, 20, 25 years. She shot everyone. Yeah. And so I've become friends with him, and we're doing a collaboration with my lettering. It's amazing because I've got access to Chuck D images of this yeah, whole yeah. set of ones that have never been seen Damon Arbound, Gallagher, uh, Lee Scratch, Perry. Oh, yeah. the, the range in there is incredible. And we're calling it uh, Lend Me Your Ear. Right. So it's all about people who have succeeded because of who they are, not yeah. in spite of it. Um, and I didn't want this to come across as it's just a bunch of Larry fuckers. It's not that. <laughs> yeah. It's not because we've got Beck in there. Yeah, yeah. So he's that subversive mis- mystique going on. And then you've got Liam and all Gallagher yeah, yeah. and the smash mouth yeah. and all that. Yeah. But that's beautiful because as long as you've been true to yourself, then I think it doesn't matter what you are. That's, that's the... That's, that's, uh, completely. I mean, I, I, I said to... I say this quite a lot. I remember said it at the weekend to my friend Helen, Helen Musselwhite, the, the sort of paper artist. I said, if I didn't know me, I'd probably hate me. Because I actually quite, <laughs> I actually quite like quieter people or more introvert people, you know, who sort of like don't. Whereas I'm, I'm not that person. Yeah. But I also don't want to ever try to pretend to be something I'm not. You know, it just doesn't come naturally. You know, mm. um, I probably should shut my gob a little bit more and stick back <laughs> a little bit more and be a bit quieter and and maybe not say things. Like, a client said to me. A while ago, um, uh, you know, you're, you're quite opinionated on Twitter. A few years ago, you're really opinionated on Twitter. 
I said, I'm, I'm not. And he said, oh, no, you are. You're really opinionated. Like, a few people have said it. And I, I just stood there and I thought, oh, shit, right, okay. All right, I, better, I better not be as opinionated. And I tried it for about an hour. And then I just thought, no, I'd best <laughs> I, I can't do this. You know, if you've got something to say. Within, again, it's that thing, isn't it? It's, like I said during the talk, you know, you don't think you should just, you can't just go on Twitter just to mouth off about things or to slag people off or to slag work off just to say something. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and I, again, I've made more of a conscious effort to be less um, sort of just kind of reactionary to new work that goes out there and stuff because, you know, we don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes and we shouldn't be so quick to slag things off. But, you know, having an opinion, I don't think it's a bad thing. That's I think, what the you know, is, that's, that's what the arts is built on. Yeah, exactly that. You know? It's, if it wasn't, that's what's beautiful about any art form. Yeah. I love the fact that I can be so obsessed with a certain band or a track and someone yeah. next door might love it. I love that. And that kind of debate, and we've talked about this before, haven't we, off, off the podcast thing, me and you've talked about it, the idea of being able to have a debate about something and actually be prepared to say, do you know what? I've gone through most of my life, 30 odd years, thinking a certain way, but you've completely changed my way of thinking there. Well, because yeah. I never saw it like that before. I think having that ability to be able to say I was wrong yeah. and a bit more humble. So it's not about just honesty, it's about being humble and about. Well, it know. is. And as we said, if, if that was the general, whether it's extreme left or extreme right, if that yeah. was the general attitude and people were prepared to come together mm. and have a big open conversation, I think we'd be in a lot better state. Yeah, definitely. You know, but that's 100%. another conversation. Yeah. But, it's like, <laughs> but it's true, you know. Yeah. I think, yeah, like you say, putting it out there and actually being correct on something, that's, you know, I'm never against that. Jeez, yeah. I've been banged to rights many times in my life. You know? <laughs> it's all right. In fact, every opinion I've had, I think, so I am wrong about everything. So where do we find you now then? Are you, how, so you've been going a while, are you? Yeah, too long. Have you yet found yourself, uh, do you now find yourself in a position where you're able to be a little more selective do you, do you feel that you're shaping your own direction in the projects you take on oh, I suppose the right answer to give you on this podcast right now is yes I'm exactly in that position <laughs> uh, but the honest answer which we just talked about is you know there's a lot of work to be done there and I started this year with a real conscious effort to look after myself a bit more um, and and to try as much as I can do to say no to things and to not be working ridiculously long hours and, and to be a bit more respectful of mm. me as a human being uh, without going too deep into it. You know, I think I spent the last couple of years, you know, uh, we, had a, we had a baby and, you know, wanting to spend time with her. But, you know, just every day was like, every minute of every day was taken up with something, whether that was work or, or, or looking after her or doing something. And you never get that, just that 10 minutes to just sit and take stock of, of where you're at. So... And I used to play football. I used to play football all the time, like three or four times a week and that. And, wow. uh, and that was my release, really, from design. So, it was, you know, it was Sunday league in Manchester, like on Huff End playing fields. So I'd, I'd spend the week sort of kerning and crafting this beautiful bit of type or what I thought was a beautiful bit of type and, and really sort of making something look great. And then I'd go on a, on a Sunday and get the absolute shit kicked out of me by <laughs> six foot, you know, 20 stone centre-halves who hated me and elbowing me and kicking me and stuff. And I love that kind of contrast, that juxtaposition between that sort of art of design on a Friday and then that kit to shit on a Sunday. But a lot, you know, when we had, when we had Aoife, you know, I stopped playing for a lot of it. It wasn't just, it wasn't just becoming a dad. It was just, uh, you know, I was getting older and I stopped playing. Um, but I, met, I thought, made the effort this year, I thought, to try and get back to doing some kind of health stuff. Started swimming, started yoga. Not got a clue what I'm doing with yoga, but I'm enjoying. You know, I'm enjoying trying something new. Uh, I played football the other night for the first time in a long time, and and just that sort of taking a step away from the from the job for a few minutes is helping massively. Mm. Um, 
Because I do, I do. The aim is to get the balance right, isn't it? Yeah. We have to work hard. We have to at this job. You know, you have to, you have to be constantly working. You have to be constantly on the ball and designing and being creative and, and coming up with ideas. But yeah, I think if you just do that all the time, twenty four seven then you're going to go mad after a while. And I think I, I'm, I'm 39 this year and I just thought it's time to start trying to get that balance better. Um, I, I, I'd love to say that I'm getting work that is more f- my kind of style. And I, in some ways, I probably am. I probably am starting to get clients now who are coming to me a bit more to say, well, you know, we've seen what you did for these people. We've seen what you did for these people. And we'd like something similar. Uh, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit wary of the term style. I think if you sort of... As a graphic designer, I, I think it's my job to, to, to bring the right style in for the project. So it's more probably a, a way of design thinking that I'd, yeah. I'd say I can kind yeah. of do now. But style-wise, I mean, you know, hopefully me and you are working on a project soon that we can't say too much about. Um, you know, for me, that's a kind of change from the style of, of, of maybe the last project I did for the same client. We're giving yeah. very little away here. But, you know, so it, it's, it's bringing in the right style for the brief. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the more work you produce in a certain way and you put that on your portfolio and on your social media, then you hope that clients will at least have had a look and gone, okay, this person's right for us, yeah. you know, we're, we're going to give him a call. Um, I, I, I don't think I'll ever feel comfortable turning work down because of the nature oh. of my background and that sort of fear that Maybe. tomorrow I'll have no money in the bank. So I'm always wary of it. But, I, but I've said no a couple of times this year to things that have just not quite been right. For, 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 for time really as much as anything yeah. um, there's only a certain amount of hours in a day mm-hmm. and you know yoga is taking over my hours in the day now, so I need to <laughs> I need to you know stick to this. that but yeah, uh, yeah he says sitting here drinking his second beer but um, <laughs> probably the start of us going to the pub after this for a few more <clears throat> but you know I, I think I, I learnt a couple of years ago that um, if you say yes to absolutely everything then something will, will go at the end of the day. Like it, something will, will fail because if you're spinning so many plates, you're going to drop a few. And when you drop a few, you're letting people down. And I don't yeah. like letting people down. So I think it's better to say early on to somebody, like, I just don't think I can do that. Yeah. Give them some of the other people they can speak to or give them some alternatives and options of you know, better times that mm-hmm. they could, you could work together. Do you know what? Surprisingly, most people are okay about that. If you're opening up from, from the start and say, I can't do it, yeah. you know... It, you feel sort of better about yourself. Yeah. I've done it. I've been turning more stuff down the last couple of years, which is a lovely luxury that you know, mm. I'm grateful to have. But this year, I'm really trying to go, let me, let's see if I can really start to push this. Yeah. To the point where I'm, uh, every job is, I feel like it's right for me. Yeah. And not that other jobs aren't, but just to your point there, exactly yeah. that. I got a query earlier this month, very well-paid job, came through my agency, Complete guilt trip after I said no I, to the point where I got it back in touch with my agent and went, Look, this is a reason yeah, 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 I'm yeah, just trying yeah. to be lost on chat. And they were like, It's fine, you'd have to justify it. Yeah. It's cool, you know, you have to take everything on that we bring you. And I was yeah. like, All right, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 right. fine. <laughs> but then the next day, I got a really lovely brief that I was able to sit down, really yeah. indulge in it. It wasn't, didn't have 10 things in my head going on. And you could focus on it. And that was well paid. And I thought, Right, okay, that's kind of I'm validated glad. that decision. Like, let's yeah. see if I can keep this going, you know. But the problem is, I don't know if you're like me, Ben, but I, my, my biggest problem is that I get, I get bored quite easily. So when a new brief comes along, I get instantly very excited about it. Yeah. I start thinking of ideas and, Oh, it could look like this and it could be this and here's a great idea and we could do this and we could do that. And, and, and you know, and I get really excited, and, and then I realise that I've still got three or four projects to finish. <laughs> Me too. And, but I'm like, but I want to start this new one. Yeah. And I think that that 
that's an in- I don't know how to, again, I don't know how to theorise on that. Maybe somebody who's listening could tell us what that means. But the idea that I'm always looking for something new to work on yeah. is actually a drug or an adrenaline thing that keeps it's, you going. That's a great you point, know. yeah. And that's why people sort of sometimes say, like, you know, when are you going to stop? Like, on <laughs> podcast, when you've yeah. written, written an article for whatever now. And it's like, I love that because it keeps everything fresh. Like, if yeah. I spent two days doing a talk at the uni or whatever, yeah. whatever I'm excited to get back to solitude and put my podcast on and be, my, be on my own again. Yeah, yeah. Two days of that, I'm seeking Ready the next exploration. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I love the variation. But, but then that, I guess that comes from just, I like a lot of things, film, literature, you know, so many different yeah. influences these days. And, and because I've been fortunate enough to travel a lot as well, that's, yeah. that's had an impact. And you know, so Yeah, and all that feeds into the work that we do, doesn't it, in some way. Again, you know, you can't always put your finger on it, but there's... You know, I'm, I've probably seen things over the years you know, that you don't even remember. This is why Pinterest doesn't quite work, because it's finished, polished, great work. Yeah. Whereas I've seen you know, you know, a bit of type or, or something on holiday, and it's just stuck in your memory somewhere. And, and then you come, come back and you're like, I know where I've seen it somewhere, but yeah. I can't quite put my finger on it. That's a lovely it. thing, and I've really embraced that more in the last couple of years. And, I, and now I get why my tutor's always said, like, mm. get in the library and look at things yeah. that have nothing to do with this course. Go yeah. and look in the botanical section. And I'd be like, well, you know about like, it's not designed. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, I don't even think about what it's doing. Okay, something yeah. does grab me consciously, fine, but... But like you say, it could be six years down the road yeah, and something, you yeah, something comes in your head a certain colour palette and you don't even need to know where it's come from because your brain's doing it. But that's because we never we never switch off. Yeah. You know, and that's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Oh, yeah. That, a bit, that, that sort of, that's what yoga's all about, Ben. You know, if you want to get the, <laughs> if you want to get the man's <laughs> out. It, but it, yeah, it, it's, yeah, the, it's it. the sort of the switching off for 10 minutes or 15 minutes at the end of the session or at the start and just... Or even during the session where you're trying to get yourself into all these crazy... I mean, listen to me, I sound like some kind of, you know, <laughs> some kind of master. I'd love to play, this for, like, I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to play this for your students, Swagger and Soul. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Here we talk about yoga. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, my, my nephews think it's hilarious that I'm doing yoga, you know. They're like 11 and you know, 14 or whatever. And they just think it's absolutely hilarious. And again, it probably is hilarious, but I, I don't really care. I'm quite enjoying it and... You know, it's something different. But it's all about that switching off. And it's all about that having that time where you literally can't be anywhere else. You can't do anything else. You can't check your phone. You can't check your emails. Really? And and you're thinking about how the fuck I'm going to stand up in this position for another 30 (laughs) seconds. Which means that I'm not thinking about my work or, you know, or the the projects I've got to do or the emails I've got to finish. Just for that short space of time. And it's amazing how doing that actually helps you then Mm -hmm. when you come out of there it clears it's some space back in your brain again. And that was something yeah. last year I was really struggling with. I just felt like I was going going crazy. Do you find it, it's almost like you start to let things through again? Like I do this, I go on holiday and I'll make mm. a point of, like you said, not touching anything where I forcing myself. But come three, four days in, yes. it's like my brain starts to regenerate. so true. Again. so many ideas coming in. Yeah. Like, this is why I took the time off. Yeah, you know, like, in the first place. Yeah. But that's, I feel like we need like two, three weeks for it to really yeah. to work. It's like, for the first three or four days, I'm still thinking about work, and I'm still got that tension in your shoulders, and that kind of like, need to check your phone, and it's only after about a week that you start to fully relax and think, well, mm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm alright now, I think I can cope with this, and then as you say, you go, you know, a few more days of that, and then you start thinking creatively again, I can't wait to get back to Very work true. and do this, and I've got these ideas, and this is going to be great. It soon gets it soon gets taken away from you again with a few clients oh, yeah. and stuff. But you need that break occasionally. You do. It's well, we're human, and it's just important. Yeah, isn't it? Why, it definitely. Is. But especially in a mental job like this. And sometimes I do think, you know, going back to the farm work and the kind of like that sort of job where you know you, you sort of, 
you clock out at five o'clock yeah. and you probably don't really think about it until nine o'clock the next day when you go back to work. And yeah. I kind of do think in a way there's sort of a, a perverse joy to that possibly of like just oh, not yeah. letting it, not taking your work home with you yeah. and not and not overthinking everything yeah. too much. I envy it sometimes, I have to admit, I, get, mm. I, totally, I totally get that. And, and the nice thing is because I don't do any sort of regular teaching, it's just one-off days. Yeah here and there around the country and the lovely thing about that is I get on that train in the morning with a packed lunch on my yeah. laptop all I'm doing is I've prepared so it's, yeah. it's a day's work and at the end of that day I'm back I'm like wait you know it's like I'm just imagining yeah. you getting on the train with your packed lunch <laughs> Paddington Bear you know. in one of them old uh, yeah. lunch boxes from like WWF yeah. wrestling one <laughs> plastic one oh, with them. a little flask I love one of them <laughs> there you go get you one of them for Christmas <laughs> well I think I mean what was well, so, a couple of more things but is there, is there anything you're working on that's exciting at the minute this year started and despite all the, the changes I'm trying to make it has still started started really well um, you know professionally with, with, with work um, and I've got I've got tons of stuff on with, with loads of clients like Foil Co and uh, Highest Point Festival which I do all the branding for that's that's its first festivals happening in Lancaster in May so that's we're ramping up that kind of work at the moment um, just uh, completed a branding project for the Chinese Arts Centre which is a kind of symposium on uh, female Chinese art which launches in February and it's at uh, both at Chinese Art Centre, uh, Turner Contemporary, Nottingham, uh, Home in Manchester. So a kind of arts arts project which has been really good. Uh, yeah, just just carrying on. I mean, I, you know, uh, the variation, we talked about it before, I, I love that sort of working on three or four yeah. projects at the same time. I don't think you can do more than three or four projects. I think you start to go a bit a bit mad but just having a few on the go is really good yeah. and so for me yeah carrying on doing that and still do the teaching and the yoga uh, <laughs> and, and you know and just yeah just kind of doing the best I can really just just trying the best I can to keep working and enjoying mm. it I think you know design it's it's not going to go on forever is it for me I don't think you know I don't think I'm going to be like 60 70 years old but I might, I might be but I don't think I'm going to be that age sort of still still designing I don't, I don't think I want to be I don't want to be one of those designers in your 70s who's saying you know kind of ignored by the young generation he's sitting there going well when I was a lad well, you know we did it this way <laughs> I think I think you have to hit a point where you say do you know what I'm not relevant anymore I mean I'd hate to be not relevant at all in, in the creative industry yeah. at all yeah, as, as people probably think you, you're so not relevant. Right? <laughs> but, you know, you know what I mean. Like, I don't. I just. Yeah. I think you know, younger people. It's a young person's industry in some ways, yeah. and there's definitely a role for an older designer. But yeah. it comes to a point where you're like, you know, maybe maybe I can go back to that farm job. I'm going to be completely radical in my older years. I'm going to be a lunatic. I'm going to put the YBA to shame. I'm going to be unveiling like the most arrogant fine art pieces you can imagine. Well, that would be good if you'd make money that, by then. Yeah, 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 I want yeah. to be in that position where I can just do what I want. Whatever you want. And the hope is that people will, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the hope is, to be honest. Not, the problem is our generation, we're never going to have paid off our mortgages properly. We're not going to have any pensions. And we're going to be in loads of fucking yeah. debt. So the idea, yeah, we we'll probably will be working like still. I'll still be there trying to like use Illustrator version two or whatever it is when people are like, you know, yeah, on different computers. You just got to hold up Iris Apple. She's like the beacon of yeah, true. you know, like yeah. like, like stylish as fuck exactly. in the nineties. It's just amazing. Well, that's the aim. Yeah, that's yeah. where we're going then. Yeah, but maybe maybe like knock the beers on the edge and stick to more, <laughs> stick to keep, more yoga. Keep the yoga, keep the yoga yeah. going. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Well, that's most things covered. So the last thing I always ask my guests uh, is like a bit of an on-the-spot 
Oh, Question gosh. called Shark. I call it Shark in the Tank because it's such a the Damien Hurst piece. It's such a love hate piece of art. But, yeah. but I just basically ask for a positive and a negative or a love and a hate loosely based within creativity and what you do. So very on the spot. Wow, it is on the spot. Wide yeah, ro- ro- roll VT. I can't <laughs> think of anything. Um, wide open question. Yeah, maybe I'll crack open a few more beers. What do I love? Um, I suppose I, I love the fact that you know every day has a sense of variety to it. We, you know, we talked about that, but you know, you just don't. You come to work and, and you don't really know what the day is going to bring, mm. um, and, and and you're not. You know, you're not going to work with an idea exactly what's going to happen, and you might meet somebody or talk to somebody or kind of, you know, uh, get a brief through through the door that's like absolutely brilliant. You just don't know. You're always on that kind of what's tomorrow going to bring, what's tomorrow going to bring. I think that's a real love of the design design community or the design industry. I should say. What do I hate? Um, I hate the I hate the fact that I never I can never really switch off from from it really, and and I always feel that. You know, I can never. I, I find it really hard to fully relax and to fully just kind of, you know, just take a moment to just stop. It's really tough because you know the way my mind works and the way that the way that I am as a person, my imagination and cre- the, the creative yeah. side of me, it's just really difficult to switch that off. And I think I wish I could get that balance better um, between enjoying the, the the flexibility and the variety of being creative, but being able to sometimes say, yeah. let's just turn it off for a little bit. I agree, and I think I think it's just the nature of the uh, the kind of mind mm. that is attracted to this industry or finds itself in this industry. We just we have a curious, fast paced, you know, yeah. uh, sometimes maybe even unstable mind. Yeah, you know, I'd like, say. Yeah, I would say my, my own my yeah. own case. Uh, therefore, I can you know it's that double-edged sword of doing something you're passionate about, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So I think I think that's a, an answer that will get many agreements. Yeah, to, um, I'll drink to that one. Then. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's been brilliant, and thanks ever so much. No for problem. Time, thank you. Cheers. Thanks for asking me. Cheers uh, to Dave for taking the time to sit down with me and uh, just talk about all the good things, that journey, all the ups, the downs, the reality, the honesty in design. I think it's something that there's a lot of illusions cast, especially on social media. So it's good to hear people's stories. It's good to hear about the ups, the downs, the inspirations, because that storytelling is absolutely crucial. And we've all come from somewhere. We've all got this unique journey. Um, And I think it's so important and I think people really do overlook that they look at, they look around they look on Behance and Pinterest and think what do I need to be when actually the answers are all in there in the guts in the hearts in the mind of who you are so embrace it use it really run with it um, so cheers today for that go and check out all his work in the show notes as ever um, what we've got coming up we've got all sorts we've got behaviour design with Lauren Kelly from uh, Jura got all that stuff coming up we've got Super Fried coming up, Mark Richardson, um, top guy, really, really cool stuff. Um, it's all going on, got loads of good episodes coming up. So, cheers again to the sponsors illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk, Real Junk Food Manchester, and the Association of Illustrators. Thanks to those guys for their support, also. So, keep it going, get us a little review on iTunes if you get a moment, please. Uh, do spread the love, do share the word. Uh, it's hard work doing this, but I love it and I'm very passionate about creativity and I try to use this thing to inspire people and share the journeys of others because I really think that's important. So cheers for listening as ever, guys. Um, looking forward to what you guys have all been up to. Do share it on the social channels and I'm going to leave you to it. So cheers, have an awesome week. Uh, stay creative and thank you for tuning in as ever. Nice one, guys. See you later. Thank you.